You're listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Check us out online at southmetroministries.com. Now, let's join in on worship and the Word. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, please. Pardon me, chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Amen, everybody? Okay. I I want to uh, kind of deviate from the series of lessons I've been preaching on Get a Grip. I really think if I should uh, had a, another title for this lesson, I might have called it Get a Grip on Reality. But I've called it something else, and you'll see why in a minute. Matthew chapter 2, please. Verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from for their own country another way. I, uh, I want us to know the truth and let it set us free. Amen? And so, I, uh, I want to talk about this thought, following a star, finding a stable. Would you stretch your hands in my direction, offer a prayer for me? And if you do, I will for you, and God will honor our prayers together. So, Lord Jesus, uh, on this wonderful Lord's Day, and the Word of God, which is the bread of life, we come with different perspectives, different values, different backgrounds, but we all of the same human family. And in the human family, we recognize our need for you today. Would you just uh, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church? Would you give us receptive minds and hearts? And Oh God, help me to help the church. Father, separate me from any personal agenda. Separate me, God, from any kind of axe grinding or any kind of other kinds of things I think I need to do here for my flesh. And cause me to only represent you and all of us to receive your truth and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being seated. I would like to introduce this lesson this morning on following a star or finding a stable with this thought. Our conduct is usually controlled by our expectations. Let me clarify. On the night before Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, if you've ever reared children, and some of you have children of the age of elementary, middle school, 
grandchildren. And, and the night of Christmas Eve arrives with presents under the tree with their names on it. You find that their conduct is controlled by the expectation. They don't want to go to sleep. Can I get a witness? Because presents come in the morning and they want to hasten the morning because it's going to be presents time. And you have a big day planned for them, yes, to open presents, but you, you know they need sleep. And you're praying to God, God, let them sleep <laughs> so we can have a good morning. You take those same children, however, and you let the holiday Christmas season transpire and we head into the new year and now it's Monday morning back to school. They are not wanting to get up Monday morning. They are in no hurry to go nowhere because there are no presents at school to open. So therefore, their conduct is controlled by their expectations. Am I right, church? It is that way with us. It is that way with what life does to us. It is also true in this account of the three wise men upon the arrival in Bethlehem to a stable or a similar structure because of the time frame of their arrival from the birth of Jesus. That when they got there after following a star to find a stable, things transpired that teaches us some truths that will help us. Because there's probably not a one of us here this morning that has not had hard times in our life when we followed a star. And it looked so promising to find out at the end of the journey it was a stable. I, I think about that and I, I think about the high school years. Some of us who are older, you, you maybe go back occasionally to your graduation year and your yearbook, senior class. And you know the custom is to get as many of your peers to sign the book as possible and create some memories. And, and as you go back and look over that book over the years that you might have occasion to, you, you, you find that somebody signed your book and you thought, you know what, I remember them. And if anybody was going to be a star, it would be them. If anybody was going to be most likely to succeed, it was, it was going to be them. And, uh, and out of our high school experience, we had peers and even ourselves started to follow a career star, a talent star, a uh, goals and dreams star. We look back on their lives and we find out for some people, they ended up at the stable. The same can be said for this thing of marriage. We ministers, and myself in particular, have solemnized the right of marriage for numbers of couples. And I tell you that these couples, some of them look so promising. Now there's something about premarital counseling that can be very challenging. Because couples are so deeply in love that even though they act like they're listening to you, they're really not. When you raise questions like, where are you going to live? Well, we don't have a place yet, but we're in love. <laughs> Look out, mama and daddy. 
Uh, what about a job? You know, groceries uh, might need, be needed and car payments and insurance. Oh, we'll cover all that later. And, and we have all been to weddings. I've done weddings where it looked like this couple was the Prince Charming and she was the Cinderella. They're following the star of matrimony. And if any marriage will have longevity, this will be it. Only to find out because of life and because of the revelation of people's personality after the fact that you may not have discovered before the fact. But it doesn't take too long before she's married and find out this Prince Charming has turned out to be the frog that she kissed. And he might have found out this Cinderella has reached her midnight and she's turned into the stepmother. You're laughing, but I hope it's not beside you. I hope it's not sitting beside you. Maybe it's a job. I don't want to spend a lot of time in an introduction. Maybe it's a job. Following the promise of a job. A career. A company. You're going to climb up the ladder and you're going to do all it takes to stay in this job for the indefinite future. Because it has promise for you. And now it's your time, your day, because you have, you have been faithful, you've been a person of integrity, you've gone the extra mile, and the boss calls you into the office, and you just know in your spirit that this is the day that I'm going to receive that promotion to the next level, because what else could it be? Only to go into his office or her office and discover that somebody else has got the promotion, and somebody else is getting the raise, and your star has led you to a stable. What about those who venture into their own business? And I'm in favor of people who venture to their own business, providing they make proper plans so they can succeed. What about people, you know, who, who most of their adult life have spent uh, working hard, setting aside money along the way because one day they want to have their own business and, and then they go to the bank and they make a loan so they can initiate their business and find a place to lease and buy the products. And, and the first of the year, they're going to start off with their brand new business and they're following the star of having their own business and only to find out that a few months later into opening their business, the people on the streets were not nearly as excited about the business as they were. And so now they're unstable. Retirement age. I think it's wonderful and lofty that you plan for retirement and that you look towards retirement. But there have been those who have entered into retirement and a few months into it they find out that it's really not what they thought it would be. They find themselves restless and uh, in lack of uh, uh, sense of uh, self-worth and value because they don't feel as needed as they once were. And so self-esteem can be hurt and, and maybe other things happen. So following the star of retirement ends up into a stable. And when I, when I think about that, I, I, I wonder is then what do we do when we come to places that held promise but now no longer has a promise because of conditions beyond our control or maybe somewhere in our control. I think about these three wise men who... Just to give you the, the, the scenario here, they left their geographical area of the world which was distant from Bethlehem when they ended up. They didn't travel a few days or even a few weeks. They traveled for months. They, upon departing 
their place of abode and their family following this star because it was not just a regular star. It was not a normal star. It was not just a one of the millions out there. It had a special glow, a special ambiance, a special call, a special revelation. And all of it was based on prophecy. And they had been studying and reading. So they got up one morning and they embraced their spouse and embraced their children and loaded their camel for a journey they didn't know how long it was going to take and a destination they did not know where it would lead and they travel at night and they travel at day and they travel in peril and they travel in the sandy desert and in the wind and the rain and every time the star moved they move and they continued maybe for a year and they come now to this place where the star finally stops and they're expecting a mansion and a palace because the question they have in verse 2 is, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they're traveling with the expectation that we are going to see a king. And most of the king that they were acquainted with prior to this journey had pomp and circumstance and palace and guards and servants and royalty and, and gold and silver. And, and it wasn't hard to recognize where they were or where they lived because of who they were. And they come to this place in Jerusalem and they don't see in a mansion the star has stopped, but they see no evidence of what they expected. And they even stop and inquire of Herod, the Bible says, because verse 3 talks about that. Herod heard about it and then, then he had him come in and inquire and they, they chatted together. And, and the, the long and short of it is when they finally arrived to the place where the star stopped, they found it to be not a mansion or a palace, but the backyard of a stable or the humble dwelling of now Joseph and Mary because of their means and their income and their limited economic situation. They certainly was not living in the penthouse. They were living in something very humble, maybe not far beyond that of the description of a stable. So, so what, what happens here? What, what do we do? Well, there are three things that I see here from the Word of God that, that the wise men did. No wonder we call them wise men. That you and I can learn from. Because all of us are going to be disappointed in life at one time or the other. Say amen. All of us are going to have our bubbles burst. All of us are going to have our dreams tested. So what do we do? Well, the first thing I see happening here is that when they followed the star to find a stable, they looked for God. Oh, somebody say praise the Lord. They looked for God because they understood that God is not obliged to work in ways that they have to approve. Say amen to that. They looked for God because the same God they trusted years prior and on this year of journey to the star and to the place of the Christ child, the same God had kept them and preserved them. And even though a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the hay trough of an animal, and just meager parents was all they found, or maybe they went into a house and a place of dwelling, because it speaks about a house that was very meager, and the expectations were maybe somewhat diminished, they thought to themselves, I will not limit God. I don't 
doesn't have to understand God. God doesn't have to ask my permission. God doesn't have to act in my ways. If God has sent me here and the star has stopped here and this is the couple, I am going to look for God. And when they looked for God, they found that Jesus is indeed God. Somebody put your hands together and thank the Lord for it. I think about scripture and I think about people that come to my mind. And the first of those is this person called Joseph. You know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know how God gave him dreams and visions and gave him the confirmation that one day he was going to be a mighty leader and ruler. And he was the, he was the son of, a, of a, a father who had 12 sons. He was the youngest. And he began in his immaturity, but his excitement to share with his peers about how God had given him this dream and this vision. And it implied that even they, his brothers, would have to bow down to him and serve him. And according to Hebrew culture, the youngest never was served by the older. Am I right? But it was reversed. And so they became extremely jealous of him. And uh, they sold him into slavery. You know the story. And he was told, uh, pardon me, his father was told that a wild animal took his life. And his father grieved over him, and they maybe had a funeral in, 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 in his absentia as far as nobody to be found. But all this time, he was in Egypt, and he had been following a star. Now he becomes a slave in Egypt under a prominent ruler and a captain of the army whose name is Potiphar. Even in the stable condition of his life, meaning the less than desirable condition, This is what I get, God, for sharing the testimony you give me. Potiphar has a wife who is an evil woman and she tries to seduce Joseph into sexual impropriety. And Joseph realized that if I'm going to follow my star and be all that God promised I can be, I've got to be a person of integrity when people around me know me and when people around me don't know me. i got to be a person of integrity when I'm back home with my dad and my brothers because God has anointed me. And i got to be a person of integrity when nobody can see my ways and tell somebody else. And I want to tell you, the way to get to your promised land is to remember that God is the one who made you a promise. And if you are faithful to Him, He will be faithful to His promise. He was arrested because he failed to give in to sexual impropriety. And she cried out attempted rape. And now he's in prison. Here is Joseph following the star, a dream. He goes to the pit. Then he goes to the prison. He's forgotten there for a season. He follows the star and his world gets worse. He interprets the dreams, again, of two of the prisoners there, who later on is uh, the dreams that he interprets come to pass in their lives. And it seemed like out of nowhere when he thinks he's forgotten in his table, in his less than desirable turnout, God elevates him from the pit and the prison to the prime minister and the palace. Can somebody say praise the Lord? And I'm telling you, the only reason Joseph got there was because in those places, he looked for God. He might not have been able to find God or hear God, but he said to God, I'm not giving up my dream. I'm not giving up your anointing. I'm not giving up any gratification of the flesh for a season because I want your plan for my life. You'll find God if you'll search for him. Isn't that the case with Job? After he lost everything. 
because Satan had a wager with God. Satan says, Job serves you for good times only. And God must have said to Satan, I'm just implying this, that there are people out there who call me their God, but I'm not their God, but Job is different. There are people out there that say they love me with their mouth, but their hearts are drawn to other places. That's not Job. And so Satan says, well, you let some storms and trials come in his life. Let, let his star turn into a nightmare and he'll curse you to your face. And God said it won't happen. And you remember he lost all his ten children. He lost all his livestock. He lost all his property. He lost uh, everything of tangible appreciation, even his health, except for the fact that he's clinging on to life. His wife, in despair, sees his agony. She's not a mean woman, but she doesn't know what else to do. She says, after all this, look what's happened. Why don't you curse God and die? He has three friends who shows up, and instead of comforting him, they accuse him of having hidden sins, and that's why he's suffering. But Job looks for God in everything. And he says, you know what? I want everybody to know that I know that my Redeemer lives. And even though one day skin worms may destroy my body, yet another day is coming when in my flesh I will see God. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, that's a person to me who found God in his loss. Then there is King David. The most popular and quoted psalm of the Bible is Psalm 23. Did you know that Psalm 23 was written in a cave by David when he was hiding from his son Absalom who sought his father's throne? Did you know that Absalom, though rescued by his father more than once, could only show his gratitude by threatening his father's throne and running his father and a small entourage away from his father's palace and kingdom, servants and guards? And here's David, if you will, in a stable. I don't mean a literal stable, but I'm talking about a condition undesirable. Less than his expectations. If his son finds him, he's got a bounty on him. Either his son will kill him, or whomever brings David's head back will be appropriately rewarded. And yet he could, he could look for God, even though his boy... Who should be protecting him wants to kill him. And he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Did I get a witness? He could say, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Here I am. I used to be king. I was the man. I had servants. Everything. And now it looks like I might die. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies that anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Whether I live or die, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I one day will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> you can find God anywhere. And then of course there's Paul. And I won't spend a lot of time on this. But I'm just simply telling you, we think we suffer sometimes. We think, oh, God don't answer our prayer 30 seconds after we pray and we want to go get drunk. 
looking for all the wrong stars, following all the wrong things. Things don't turn out. Some of us have called ourselves Job. We ain't nearly been near suffering as Job. Paul has been beaten and scourged repeatedly for the sake of the gospel. He has been imprisoned time upon time. He has been pelted with rocks and boulders and left for dead outside a city by the name of Lystra. Paul has been in peril on the ocean, in peril in the desert, in perils in the cities. Press beyond measure. He has found himself following a star to end up at a stable. Yet in a prison cell, he writes to a congregation in a place called Philippi. A prisoner now that needs somebody to come by and pour a little oil on his wounds. Somebody to come by and bring a little fresh bread. Or just send a, a correspondence of encouragement. Instead, he turns it around. And he writes to the people of Philippi and he says in Philippians 4 and 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He says in the prison yet I know my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Please don't give up. Look for God. I must tell you that there's a difference between a weak Christian and a strong Christian. The difference is that weak Christians see God only in the good. Well, it must be God because it feels good. I cringe when I hear that. Because not everything good is God. I'm talking to you now. You see, oh, here it goes. I'm glad the offerings already taken up because if it was based on what I'm fixing to say. See, it's never right for you to be with a married man or woman, dating, going out to eat, or anything. Never right. Never right. You cannot find your knight and shaman armor or your soulmate who already belongs to somebody else. Oh, but it must be right because it feels so right. It's never right for a single mom or dad or college student or high school student or anybody to have sex outside of marriage. Never right. God calls it fornication or adultery. Well, we're, we're already committed and bonded to each other and we don't get married. Wrong. Wrong. Because it feels good doesn't mean it's from God. Homosexuality is never right. Lesbian love, I don't care if the woman's got her own show. It's wrong. This guy on, who became the American Idol is going to be interviewed by Barbara Waters, and I don't care to see the interview. But, I, but in one of these recent presentations of some sort, this, this guy kisses another male guy on the stage, 
And then when, when, when he's asked about it, he says, I'm homosexual. Deal with it. You know, that is as much a sin as murder, as somebody saying, I am a lover of boys. A male saying, I'm a lover of boys. I'm a pedophile. Just deal with it. It's sin. It's a little quiet, but I'm preaching now. Okay. Lock the doors. If Tiger Woods had a number one fan, it was me. I I don't play golf. I like to look at golf. I'm not against playing golf. And one day when they get short enough clubs, I'll play them. Now, I never thought his personality amounted to a hill of beans, but I thought his skills were phenomenal. You can't argue. I I used to hate Muhammad Ali. As a boy, I I used to love boxing. You know, when you got the size I got, you got to love something. Because you can't do it for real, you get your face beat up. But I changed my opinion because Muhammad Ali backed up his big mouth. He was, he was the champion. Now, maybe all the facts are not in, but based on what I know about Tiger Woods, I don't care if you are the world's most prominent athlete. Sin sin. You have an allegiance to your wife and children. You know, it's one thing, brothers and sisters, if somebody fumbles and messes up once. Adultery or something. In a weak moment, it's wrong anyhow. It's wrong anyhow. But when people practice this repeatedly, politicians, preachers, I said preachers, we follow these stars. We we, we are in this idol age in America. Idol Tiger Woods. Idol Joel Osteen, not accusing him of anything. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. I, even if you, for whatever sick reason, you idle me. <laughs> but we, we idle, you know? We idle the wrong people. Jesus is the only idol. And I, I tell you that... We, we are following. We're marching to the wrong beat, drum beat, just because they look good or sound. Now, I'll tell you, my image of Tiger Woods is changing. Because I can't separate the golfer from the husband and father. God is more sold out to the husband and father and family. That was his institution. I pray that there's reconciliation and healing. Amen, church? Let me hasten here. Because they got quiet. I need to get it. Strong Christians see God in both good and bad. Yeah. Strong Christians say, you know, God, I've been serving you all these years. And now there's a spot on the lungs, the doctor says. And uh, after the biopsy, there may be the need for surgery because it could be cancer. And... Strong Christians don't say, well, bless God, I've served you all these years, and look what you gave me. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to go to church. Strong Christians say, Lord, if I have to have surgery, send angels in the room with the surgeons. 
anoint the hands and the eyes of the surgeon. God, if, 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 I got to, if I got to go through this storm, would you sail in my boat with me? Can I get another amen here? Yeah. Strong Christians say, God, I don't start, I don't serve you like, like Christmas has become. I don't serve you like, a, like you are some great Santa Claus in the sky. And all I want you to do is give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me. God, sometimes I just want to bless you. Can I get an amen here? Sometimes, God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for good health. Thank you for going through this valley. Thank you for my marriage. It may be a little stormy, a little bit difficult. But, God, I am going to trust you who have begun a good work in me to complete it until the day of my redemption. Can we give a Lord thanks? Okay, i, I got to hurry. Let me hasten here. Here's what the wise men did that I would suggest to you if you follow a star and find a stable. Give God their very best. Can I get an amen here? When they came to the stable, they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts of great value. They could have said to themselves in the flesh, well, all we found was this, this little baby here, this little toddler. They don't even have a nice house. There are no servants. There are no guards. There are no silverware. There's no precious ornamentation. This is just a house of a shack of some kind. Why don't we take, the wise man could have said, why don't we take and go impress Herod and give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh and impress his boy and have clout with him? No. Their mission was one of realizing that wherever I find myself, if I'm faithful to God, God has a plan for me and He deserves my best, whether I'm on the mountain or in the valley. Somebody say amen. You see, part of the problem of the world we're living in is that when we come into conflict or trial or difficulties or obstacles, we tend to back off from giving our best. The marriage gets a little stormy and the affection is not there. Well, you're not forgiving, so I'm not going to forgive. You're not giving your 100%, so I'm not going to give my 100%. And God is saying, if you want to see your way out of a stormy or difficult marriage, keep being a faithful husband or a faithful wife, a faithful mom, a faithful dad. Keep going to work. Keep paying the bills. Do not do to somebody else something different that you want for yourself. Treat them like you want to be treated. And if you do it as unto God, God will see that you are blessed. Give your very best. And I, I alluded to this, so I'll put it on the screen. We find a stable instead of a palace. We often tend to hold back from giving our best. The economy is challenging, and many are out of jobs, and things are not looking promising. So one of the first things the devil will tell you is to cut back on God on your tithing offerings. Anybody hearing me? And what the enemy will say is, get caught up with God later. And what God's plan is, is for you and I to give our best, whether we are in low economy or high economy. If you make $10, you owe him one because he gave you the 10. If you made 100, you owe him 10 because he gave you the 100. If you make 1,000, he owes you 100 because when you bring all the tithe in the storehouse, he will provide other means and blessings so you can keep going on. It's not the time to hold back because you need food today. Some people say, well, I get caught up with God when I get a better job, a better situation. What restaurant will let you come eating every day and then tell them, I'm going to pay you at the end of the year? Oh, man, I told you I'm glad the offering's over. Hallelujah. We treat God like that. We treat God like the crumbs is what He deserves when He deserves the best. I say to you that I have discovered the difference between average and above average the, the difference between the people who get past the stable and go on in the direction God wants them to do, the difference between them is, uh, are these three words, and then some. You know where you get your power from? Is if God calls you to forgive somebody and you forgive them and then do a little extra. Did you hear what I said? 
You know where you get your extra blessing? Is if somebody in the Bible talks about going the extra mile. If somebody asks you to do one thing and because you just want to make sure that you are obeying God and blessing somebody, you go a little extra. You know where you get the blessing from? And then some. You get a blessing because somebody hurts you or, or not necessarily physically, but maybe physically. Somebody speaks evil of you or unkind and you have the capacity to beat them down and to abuse them verbally, but you turn the other cheek. That's where you get the blessing. Somebody ought to say amen. Forgive. Walk the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. You know what some of us do? Some of us decided that God said that we should forgive somebody. Jesus did 70 times 7, which is 490. Is that right? Is that 70 times 7, 490? Yeah. Okay. So we got the idea because the disciple says, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And the Lord says, no, 70 times 7. So we figured, this is 489, sucker. And after this, I'm going to slap you into tomorrow. God did not give you those numbers or me those numbers because he had a limitation on forgiveness. In that you and I want to be forgiven, healed, and blessed, we must forgive in like fashion. Can you say amen? Oh, boy. I'm plowing through this, but, I, but it's okay. Everything's okay. Because the Lord says to us, you see, let, let me tell you something about what I've discovered about the American economy and American productivity. You know, we have a lot of foreign companies that have come up and bought America. Did you all know that? Do you know that a lot of companies belong to other nations of the world? Go ahead and nod or say, do you know a lot of American property bought by other nations in the world? A lot of American jobs have, have gone to people of other culture. And let, let me clarify before you make a presumption that I didn't intend. We have raised a culture in America of people who don't practice and then some. We have raised a culture in America where people work two hours a day, but they clock in eight and expect to get paid for eight. You're hearing me, aren't you? We have raised an, uh, an education uh, atmosphere in America of students who think if I can make a C and get by, why make a B or an A and get a scholarship? I'm preaching now. Yeah, yeah. We have lived in this, this thing about somebody owes me something. Come on and help me here. Yeah, yeah. The reason some of us are not blessed is because we're waiting for our bailout. Yeah. We, we, we expected the right checks in accounts. We ain't got no money. Because we didn't go the extra mile. Oh, Jesus, I hope they ain't got no tomatoes. Yeah. If you are going to get out of your stable, you're going to have to do what you're supposed to do and then some. Give me an amen, somebody. Now, let me tell you something else, brothers and sisters. Some people have not ended up at the stable. They've ended up at a hog pen. They've ended up at a hog pen of their own making. And they try to blame God about why did you do this to my son or my daughter or my marriage. Some people have made their own choice about drugs, about alcohol, about promiscuous sex. Have made their own choice about God. Some people won't come to a church like this. And I'm not saying for a cover. Some people will not come to a church like this and hear a sermon like this because it cuts across the grain of where they're living and they're not willing to change. That's what's wrong with American church. What's wrong with American churches? We got pastors who built monuments of churches with mega amount of money owed. And in order to keep the bills paid and keep a job, they're afraid to tell the truth. But I'm here to tell you the only thing that will set us free is when we see ourselves in the mirror of God's word. And we say to God, I need the truth whether I like it or not. I'd rather go to church, God, and get mansions and blessings and happy songs. But every once
once in a while, I need my toe stepped on. I need the true tell. I need to repent and understand I could miss heaven if I don't change my direction. It eats me up. It eats me up. And I'm not trying to get therapy here. But it eats me up when I preach to people Sunday after Sunday. Only to discover as clear and as non-generic as I preach. That some of those same people are dabbling in some of the same sins that they know is wrong. Somebody help me here. A Christian person has no business getting drunk. How deep your valley is. You have no business getting drunk. A Christian man has no business hitting his wife and abusing her. No business. You take this Bible and you show me where God blesses drunkenness and blesses domestic violence. It's not in this book. You have no business showing up at church hollering loud at everybody else and living like hell during the rest of the week. A Christian man who is married has no business in a chat room somewhere halfway around the world with somebody else's husband or wife. Pastor, you sound like you're mad. Yes, I am. I'm mad because the devil keeps doing his junk and the church keeps marching to his drumbeat. Christian people. I'm not talking about the world. They need to change their direction because they've made a hog pen out of their life. It's the prodigal son all over again. Gimme, 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 gimme. Don't want to live under your rules, daddy. Don't want to come in a certain hour at night. Don't want to wait till later on and you pass on and I get my inheritance. Don't you tell me what I, when I can go, when I can come. And, and I'm not mad. <laughs> And these wise men found the stable. They didn't meet their expectations, but they gave their best gifts. Because that wasn't the end of the journey. They knew that they had found the Christ child. Because the night prior to their departure, the next day an angel appeared to them in a dream. Don't go back to that Herod. You have found the king. (laughs) And you wise men are going to be remembered for the rest of eternity. Because you made the right choice. You didn't go back to Herod and tell him about the Christ child so he could kill the Christ child. But you changed direction. And because you changed the direction and the Christ child wasn't murdered, the rest of you, 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 I, and all of our children have a change of direction for heaven. Somebody praise the Lord. All right, I'm closing. You see this? This is a baseball Unlike any other baseball. First of all, it's mine. Every time I see this baseball, I think of a story of a couple who followed a star, found a stable, and changed directions. Uh, Dave Dravecki has autographed this baseball. Dave Dravecki is married to Jan, his wife. 
And Dave Jarecki came on the scene in the early 80s as a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Anybody remember? Yeah, yeah. And no sooner did he enter his career as a professional baseball player, within a short frame of time, it was discovered that he had a form of cancer in, in his arm. I don't know the technical term, pardon me for that. In his pitching arm. And so, on the heels of that, every means of medical care was given to preserve his health and his career. He went through a year of therapy, treatment, pain, back and forth to clinics and doctors, leave from the sports, to return back to the sport. He returned back with a grand showing at his first game. But it wasn't long after in another game, or maybe even that very game, while he was pitching, his arm broke, and the cancer had returned with violence. Now it wasn't just an issue of the cancer in his arm. It was an issue about live or die. And the only way to save Dave Drovecki's life was to amputate the arm. My God. What do you do when you follow a star and find a stable? Thousands of letters, correspondence, flocked to Dave and Jan Drovecki. Because as he walked through this part of his life, his faith was all the more amplified, though painful in his body. He continued to testify of his faith in God. Millions were encouraged. And he began to realize that this is not the end. He and his wife started a ministry called Outreach of Hope. They built an organization and, and a means for helping people who have similar experiences as he has. And now it's been years and years. And Dave and Jan Drovecki says, I'm going to take the star I was following and the stable I end up in and instead of being bitter, I'm going to help make somebody else better. Can I get an amen? Could you stand and would you please? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I bless your name. Would you bow with me and whisper a prayer? And if, you'd, if you just don't have to leave, please honor and sacred and solemnize this, this moment with sacredness by just your presence and prayer. Would you pray in your spirit right now or even verbally to yourself that God would release his greater anointing for greater help? I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I bless you, Lord. And while you offer that prayer in your spirit, I'm going to offer an invitation that will be hard for you to refuse because the Holy Ghost is going to help you accept it because He's for you, not against you. You say, Pastor Allen, at this Christmas season and this frame or stage of life that I'm in, I confess that I have followed a star or followed some things that has turned out to be less than I expected. Pastor, I confess that I'm partly responsible for that, or maybe somebody else is responsible all entirely. But I need to find God in it. 
Pastor, it's not that God has lost me, but I have not stayed in touch with Him. And not only do I need to find Him, Pastor, but I need to give Him my best and change direction. I need to either be saved for the first time or rededicate my life to God. I don't need to live in bitterness. I don't need to live in in, uh, frustration and mad anger. Today, I want to testify to God by my obedience that I'm not just a good time only Christian. Leave from where you're standing and come and stand at this altar right now while they play. Come in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on from every part of this church. Pastor, I am coming today to say I'm not going to stay in a hog pen. Oh, I'm not. I, come on. I'm waiting on you. Come on in Jesus' name. Come for your marriage. Come for your children. Come for your job. Come for your finances. Come in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. I'm waiting and I'm glad that you I know from before time began. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And when you come, you stand in His presence and pray to Him. You were God alone. Can the rest of the church raise your hands and allow right others to come? Raise your hands and worship. In the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You, you are God alone. Okay, you may put your hands down for just a moment. I, I want to just do one more thing and then I'm going to pray. I feel like the Holy Spirit would have me tell you that you know someone who is following a star they think is a star but it's not it'll bring them destruction and pain and you've talked until you can't talk anymore to them or they won't let you talk to them but they can't keep you from coming here in this altar this morning and standing on their behalf You say, Pastor, I got a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter or somebody else in my life who is following a star. They think it's a star, but they need to follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask God to send them a change. Somebody's going to marry somebody that God hadn't given them permission to marry. You know it and they know it, but you need to come and stand for them. And you, come on a little closer, if you will. Come on a little closer, those. Listen to me. Somebody hanging around people and influences that's going to be the death of them, and you cannot change them because they're now adults or young adults. Come in Jesus' name. God can cause wise men to visit them in Jesus' name. Somebody keeps on the road of drugs or alcohol or, or, or sins they think are concealed, but it's killing them. Come and stand. Jesus. Every head bowed. Those of you in the altar, begin to pray right now and tell God why you've come. Those of you in the sanctuary, begin to pray right now and pray a protection and a covering over yourself and over the purposes for which you've come. Father, you are God alone. Come on, raise your voices. Raise your voices. Thank you, Jesus. Matter of fact, just raise your hands with me. Come on. Take the posture of reaching up to God. Reach up to God with your voice in your hands. Holy Father, There are men and women standing in this altar today who want to give you their best. Father, there are men and women standing in this altar who have been disappointed and let down. And I ask you today that you would build them up in their faith. We repent this this morning, this afternoon.
Come on, pray with me. God, we repent of, uh, of doing things just because it felt good without checking with you. Come on and say amen, church. God, we repent of chasing after rainbows to find there wasn't a pot of gold at the end of it. And we ask you to forgive us, oh God, today for, for the neglect that we might have exercised. And I'll walk with you for the vacation we took from you, which wasn't a vacation, God. It was disobedience. But we come home today, Lord. We come back to the Father's house. Hallelujah to Jesus. And thank you, God, that even though we don't deserve the fatted calf being killed, and we don't deserve a ring on our fingers and a robe on our back, we don't even deserve to be called your son or your daughter. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give us what we deserve. You give us what we need. Somebody say amen. We need mercy. We need grace. We need acceptance. We need forgiveness. And we receive it. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. God, turn around domestic situations this morning for that wife or husband that needs it. Say amen, church. Turn around addiction problems, oh God, for those that we represent this morning by the power of God. Would you put people in our lives that will add godliness to us and not worldliness? Somebody else say amen. Would you empty us, oh God, of everything that is displeasing to you and would you fill us with a baptism in the Holy Ghost? I love you, Lord. Come on, somebody help me cry out to God. Don't let us fight in this prayer. Let us praise Him. Come on, cry out to God. God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I didn't come to the altar to be seen of other people. I need help. God, I need help today. Our family needs help. Oh, God, our nation needs help. Our culture needs help. Our churches need help. We don't just need another present under the tree. We don't need to go in debt to buy presents that we can't afford. What we need is the presence, the presence of the Son of God. What we need is the fire of God in our bosom and the love of God in our hearts. Bring revival to South Metro Ministries and begin it in us. Oh, Father, I bless you this morning. I pray, oh God, where the fire is going out, light the fire again for God. Oh God, I pray where there's a little bit of ember left, I pray you'd fan it with the Word of God and it would burn in our hearts. We need you, God. We need you, Jesus. We ask for your favor and blessing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Would somebody say praise the Lord? Can you just praise Him with me? Stay where you are, please. Oh, my, my, my. I, I know it's scheduled. I know it's going home. I always, the part of the service that I wrestle with the most, while I wrestle with many of it because of my flesh and missing it, is what we do here. What we do right here. I tell you that if I could just take some, a little oil and put it in your head, and, and I do on occasions, and it would just, I would do it. But I'm telling you, this is a journey. You've taken one step this morning. Don't you let Satan steal it from you here today. And here's another blessing I want you to receive. I have found out that when you feel less like doing the good thing, the God thing, is when you need to do it the most. When you feel less like forgiving, less like praying, less like loving, less like giving, you need to do it the most. And so could you just join hands with somebody beside you and give them a blessing by way of your prayer? Could you do that? Could you say, God, I pray for this person and then begin to tell God, just bless them. Bless their health. Come on. Bless them. If they have children, pray as if they do. Come on. Oh God, somebody needs a job. Somebody needs a car. 
Come on. Somebody needs an apartment or a house. Somebody needs salvation. Somebody needs deliverance. Somebody's grieving the death of a loved one that, that has left a void in their lives. Somebody has a wayward son or daughter that needs to come home. Bless them. Come on, come on. Bless them. Oh God, my Christmas gift to them is that I won't mind if you bless them more than me because you've got enough left over to bless me too. My Christmas gift is not to compare myself with them and think that I'm better. My Christmas gift is to bless them because you've been good to me. Heal their bodies and increase their joy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, one more time. Yes. 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 I just want you to touch it, Donnell. Give it back to me. Have a great day. God bless you.